0: the WTF1 post-race podcast. Well, that was a dramatic Mexican Grand Prix, wasn't it? Hi, everybody. I'm Dre Harrison, normally the host of Hot Takes Wednesday, but they've moved me over to the WTF1 post-race podcast this week because Harry Benjamin and Callan O'Keefe, our usual hosts, are on holiday. So someone's got to fill in, so why not me? Um, But... To go alongside this uh, new occasion, where as a one-off as I put in for the week, uh, I've also brought in my own extra co-host, and you've, if you listen to me and you listen to our stuff personally on a personal level, um, you'll know him as my co-host on Motorsport 101. He's also an, an IndyCar uh, writer, and does, occasionally does he does the odd F1 race as well for race fans. You know him as RJ O'Connell. RJ, say hello, everybody. <laughs>
1: Ohio, Gazaymas, and good morning. Thank you for letting me on. Uh, it's a big boy job, Dre. Um, I sure hope that um, this all goes well. Yeah, what a dramatic Mexican City, Mexico City Grand Prix that it was for a little bit, and then it wasn't. <laughs> And then it was sometimes. And then
0: it wasn't again. Yeah, it's kind of a weird one, wasn't it, really? I mean, we'll get the big one out of the way. Max Verstappen winning his 16th Grand Prix of the season, a new F1 world record. His own world record has been defeated from just a year ago. Um, For those keeping score at home, he's now won 31 of the last 41 Grand Prix, which is just utterly terrifying in every way Is that good? It's, it's pretty good it's, it's it's pretty good i mean it's it's like an unprecedented reign of dominance unlike anything we've ever seen in this sport before but besides that it's great um so yeah, well, let's be honest here though max isn't really the story of this weekend i think that i think it's safe to say this teammate sergio perez was the story of this weekend and at his home grand prix no his home grand prix and his home grand prix lasted a grand total of about two minutes um and we all know the reason why starting from row three he go he, he gets a great start tries to go free wide around the outside of turn one and if we learn anything from Qatar earlier this season it's that three into one generally doesn't go um and well Perez went for it around the outside, hooks the side of Charles Leclerc's Ferrari, goes airborne, punches a massive hole in his side pod. His day was done. Um, and I think a lot of hometown fans decided to head for the exit gates as soon as that happened, which was, which was dreadfully unfortunate. I mean, RJ, I know you're a big Checo man, um, and I know you batted for the guy a lot over his time in Formula 1. What did you make of that one?
1: Um, this was... This was his best chance to win his home Grand Prix that I think he'll ever have, and it evaporated just as quickly as that chance materialized. And to be fair, this was a better weekend than most Checo Perez weekends. I think a lot of the angst around Checo Perez is that in a car that Matt Verstappen is setting new records in, he's not able to get in the front row. He's not able to get on the podium on a regular basis and a lot of that angst is amplified when you consider that this is the only car that is capable of competing for a championship. So when the only competition within your team is not performing up to par, it all just makes it look bad. To be fair, this is not a total failure of a season. He does have victories, but ever since Miami, this boat has been taking on more water than it really should, and now the ship is starting to list. And I think by the time we get out of Mexico City, this ship might be turned 90 degrees sideways and halfway underwater. It sucks because this was a genuinely better weekend. He was not that far off of Verstappen's face, only to be suddenly beaten by a miracle Q3 run by Dana Ricardo at the very end of the mm. session. So you think, right, he ends up outqualified by Dana Ricardo in what has been the worst car for most of the season, but he gets a great start and you think he's got a chance, but yeah. It was just one of those tough racing incidents, and Sergio Perez took the blame on himself. He, he made sure to let a lot of his more boisterous fans in attendance know that that crash was not Charles Leclerc's fault. Leclerc was just simply caught in a very, very tough situation, and it ends Checo's race, and now it leads to speculation, new speculation about what Checo's future is. I understand why Red Bull wants to make a change at this point, my only question is will it make a difference? It's a tough question. I mean the way the
0: way I see it Checo did not need to do what he did on 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 lap one, in my opinion. I think He probably bought into a little bit of the desperation and the excitement that comes with a home Grand Prix and the fact that he genuinely was close to Max this weekend. He was only a tenth and a half behind in qualifying. Um, His long run pace in practice looked very solid, looked right up there with Max. This... If he takes a comfortable second or third on the podium, I don't think anybody's leaving in Mexico with any complaints. He finished third here last year and his dad was going ballistic in the, around the podium. He was kissing everyone, hugging everybody he could find. Um, but I, I, I don't think he needed to take the amount of risk that he did to try and you know to try and win this weekend, I think if he plays it safe and takes a comfortable third or fourth through turn one, he probably ends up on the podium. This was and this was what was meant to be a bit of a redemptive weekend for Checo, and instead he, he chose the worst possible time to get high off his own supply, essentially and. and, and uh, <laughs> I've read the articles since and the transcriptions and interviews since that he basically took pride in it, basically saying that, look, he wanted to go for it and he wanted to take a risk. And to a degree, I understand why a win would be the ultimate shut the hell up haters moment. But a podium would have been fine. I really do think it would have been fine and it probably would have also cemented P2 in the the driver's championship
1: that's the other thing too because now Lewis Hamilton who finished second and set the fastest lap in the race has an open goal to probably take second in the championship and this is a year where despite all the sadness and despite all of Sergio Perez not matching up to Matt Verstappen in equal machinery this is still his best chance to finish runner up in the championship something that he hasn't done at Red Bull
0: Yeah, he had a 39... I want to say it was a 39-point lead going into this race. It's now 20 again. It it essentially cancels out the the, uh, Austin disqualification that Hamilton took a week ago. And now with three races to go, Brazil being a sprint weekend, Hamilton always goes well in Brazil. Um... You'd think, given how strong Mercedes has looked in a, like, I'd say more like Hamilton in particular has been the last two or three rounds with back-to-back second places. Um, Perez is in trouble. He he really needs to get a couple of podiums out of these last three races just to make absolutely sure he gets second place. I don't think it's going to be straightforward. I think the Ferraris are in the mix. I think the McLarens are in the mix um, as well, and where they place with with George as well in that upper end of the standings is going to play a role in all of this and look if you take christian horner at his word perez's future is not defined by whether he finishes second or not in this championship however it is the word of christian horner and that inherently is part of the problem because we all know how he's gotten down with some of his drivers in the past and and that's why i don't blame people for being mass speculative on his future because perez has done himself no favors and the, when we and we know what Red Bull's culture is like as a team. It is ruthless. They have no problem culling people and breaking contracts if it means they'll have a better team in the long run. And that is going to be an issue. But I do see where you're coming from, RJ, when you talk about Daniel Ricciardo. And it will segue us in nicely to talking about Daniel in just a second. This was an outlier weekend for Alpha AlphaTauri. They have never looked this good in 2023 at any point why are we so sure that Daniel Ricciardo go in there in 2024 or 25, because that's his aims were originally when he came back. Why are we so adamant that Ricciardo is going to immediately
1: walk in and be as good as he was five years ago? It's a tough one because I think people can point back to when Daniel Ricciardo left Red Bull initially after 2018 and saying this is where... All of this second driver mess started because Pierre Gasly at that time was not the right fit. So they put out Salvada in midseason. And after a season and a half, he's not the right fit. So they finally decided, we're gonna get somebody experience even if they're outside of our driver academy. That's how they end up with Sergio Perez. And fast forward three years and now it's starting to age poorly. So now I guess they feel like, well, Daniel Ricardo was was the was the second driver to Verstappen that they've been missing this whole time. And to be fair, this weekend, he looked phenomenal. Where has this Daniel Ricciardo been since 2020? Since he left uh, Enstone for McLaren. Because other than that one weekend in Monza, that really awesome weekend Mm -hmm. in Monza, Daniel Ricciardo has looked off the boil, which is why I have to admit I was skeptical when the Alphatari replacement news dropped midseason. But this weekend, he looked solid. Fourth on the grid. He finished seventh. He was almost six, he was six for most of the day, and he very nearly got George Russell for sixth place on the final lap. Russell even admitted, if that race was one lap longer, he's finishing seventh. This was, and and how good this was coming back after the hand injury, my goodness, Daniel Ricciardo needed that, needed that, and Alfatari needed that especially because there was potential for them to jump all the way from 10th, last in the constructors, to seventh in one weekend. As a Sanso, they'll settle for eighth on countback.
0: Yeah, Ricardo's seventh place breaks the tie with Alfa Romeo. Now, um, the, the best result Tauri has had all year um, back in back-to-back weekends. Believe it or not, there got Sonoda had, had a had a PB for the team uh, last time out at Cota, and Ricardo's gone one better just a week a week on. I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said. This was a phenomenal weekend for Tauri in general, and obviously especially Ricardo. Like that was the Ricardo of old that we saw there. That was the Ricardo that I last saw in 2020 when he was an end stone with the Alpine team, as we now know them, where he was racking up top fives at will um, in in that car. He had a couple of podiums that year. I- I've said to people for some time, what is the real Daniel Ricardo? Because we just don't know. Because those two years at McLaren were so bad, um, and you know he's come back. He's only had a couple of races. They were a bit inconclusive. Liam Lawson's now come along and Lawson's been very impressive in his own right. And now a year on from that, we're now in a situation where Ricardo is kind of up in the air as the first in line to take Perez's seat. But is Ricardo going to be an improvement? So, because there's so much water under that bridge since then that we just don't know for sure. Like, is he going to be better than what Checo has done? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very confusing and polarizing time to be in that Red Bull umbrella because I don't think there is any clear answers about what Red Bull should do with their lineup. I've been, I've been more negative towards Checo saying that maybe it's time to move on from him if this is the best you think you can do and this is clearly not going to be enough for you in the long run, especially with the luxury you have of having both titles wrapped up you can afford to move people around. You can afford to take the vanity option and see what you've got in your umbrella of drivers. But And now was is, is basically, you know, being a fawn in the side again to say, look, hi guys, this is me at my best again, because that was a phenomenal weekend for him. And, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that will continue for AlphaTauri, but it's got them off the bottom. That could be a $20 million weekend for the team when it's all said and done. That was absolutely massive for them. Also, fun fact, Haas are now the best worst team in Formula One history. They, wow. they, they have no team that has finished last in the Constructors' Championship in F1 history has ever scored 12 points.
1: That is incredible. It just goes to show you the standard of Formula One these days. I don't know, everybody has their reasons for looking back on their eras where they grew up as the best era, but there's a lot of good stuff in this era of Formula One, and the closeness of the field from top to bottom, uh, that's definitely one of them. It could have been a better weekend for AlfaTari because Yuki Tsunoda was arguably having one of his best races in Formula One until
0: it's almost like he had a carbon copy of Checo's lap one incident. He he tries he, he tried for several laps to get past Oscar Piastri and then he tries to go around the outside of him into turn one. I think he pinches Piastri a bit too much and then puts himself into the grass and into the um and that big runoff at the outside of turn one. Drops him down the field, he eventually finishes 12th as opposed to what I think could have been seventh place. And that would have been a really, really, really great weekend for Alpha Tauri. Instead, it's just a very good weekend for Alpha Tauri. But I mean, it's again, we, we just talked about the Red Bull umbrella and how uncertain things are. And then Yuki Tsunoda goes and pulls out one of his best weekends in F1. And let's not forget, he started from the back of the grid for taking a new power unit on, on Friday morning. And he would have gone, you know, he got lucky on the timing of the red flag a little bit because he made an aggressive early stop and it worked out beautifully for them in the end. And then Sonoda kind of ruins it by these old. It's like the old nemesis of what we've talked about when we've been critical of Sonoda in the past. And that is lack of patience and maybe over aggression a, a little bit. And it's. I know the steward said no further action on it, but I think it's hard to blame Piastri for how that played out.
1: I agree. Um, It was one of those racing deals, but it was also a racing deal that was entirely on Yuki Tsunoda. And that's a crash that will give a lot of his critics, and I know there are out there. Uh, Reason to doubt his future potential. The good news is he does have a new deal lined up for bulls racing. Uh, Pretty soon, he will be the most experienced Japanese driver in Formula One history after just like four or five Mm. seasons, which is insane to think about. But if you had your doubts of whether or not Yuki Tsunoda would ever take this next step, that weekend kind of just reinforced your thinking. And it's a shame because I think there's a lot of people as well who think that he is capable of finding another deer gear. Of and generally speaking, this year, he's been exceptional. Uh, given what AlphaTari has been up until the recent upgrade package, Yuki Sonoda has done very well for himself. This is his best season so far. It's just it's tough that his best result of the season he, he kind of just threw away.
0: Yeah, it would have been so much better for his resume if he'd followed up his best weekend of the year in Austin with another really, really good weekend from the back of the grid in Mexico and basically match that eighth place, maybe even go one better would have been, would have been astonishing um, for him. And it would have really cemented that. No, Yuki really has improved regardless of who's in the second seat, because the best of Yuki we saw earlier this season was when Nick the freeze was there. And we, we, we as an F1 audience like to make teammate comparisons and it's hard to do that when Nick De Vries was deemed surplus to requirements after 10 races. And then when Lawson came around, stood had a horrible run of luck. He was taken out in Singapore. His power unit failed at Monza. He um, didn't even start that race. You know, Zandvo, I think he was on the rough end of bad strategy and a questionable stewards call at the end of that race. I, there's a lot of nuance that's required to pick at Sonoda's this season. Um, and I think he's in a bit of a, a tricky place because like you said, he's very experienced now for, for a Japanese driver. He's going into year four of his career next year. You don't normally get four years at Red Bull. Normally you're either promoted by now or you're shown the door, Or shown the door. Um, and Sonoda's kind of not in either of those places yet. And he's going to have Ricardo all year next year as well. It's 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 a tricky time to be Sonoda, and it this was not the time to make a a a a big mistake when he was in genuine good form, which is a real shame. Um, because I, I like Yuki, and I think he's genuinely good, and I think he has improved regardless of the the trials and tribulations of the AlphaTauri team in 2023. But um, it doesn't help when that was a self inflicted, unforced error as well. Oh, 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 this was a horror show for, for Aston Martin this weekend. And look, Fernando Alonso has been rock solid all year long. Like it's remarkable that even in his age 42 season, he's still this good. Um, And has, you'd argue, probably taken the maximum that car can bring to a race weekend pretty much all year long. Which, which makes it a bit of a bad sign that they got to Mexico. Alonso spins in practice. He spins in qualifying. And if anything, that's been probably saved him from getting eliminated in Q1 because he was in danger of doing that. But that yellow flag that he brought out killed everybody else's final runs. Um, and then... Unluckily, he picked up some I think it was floor damage from the the debris of Checo's car from that lap one incident, which made his car incredibly slow, um, to the point where they had to park him after I think it was something like 47 laps. So And even then, strolling the other side of the garage wasn't anything special to write home about this weekend either. I mean, what have you made of Aston Martin? Because the back half of this year, they have seemingly fallen down the order.
1: It just... I mean, when you hear Fernando Alonso come out with quotes saying that he doesn't trust the car, that he's not really fighting for anything as he's tumbling down the standings from legitimately looking like he could finish at least third in the Drivers' Championship and Aston Martin at one point was the second-best team in the sport... This this is tough. Aston Martin lost the development war of 2023 in the biggest possible way. The, the upgrade package that they introduced last time out at Circuit of the Americas just really has not worked as intended because they're starting to put Stroll back on the previous spec. And he had a fantastic week at Dakota, but even he couldn't make miracles happen twice in a row.
0: I remember Stroll talking about this package in Qatar and how it was designed to make the AMR 23 easier to drive. And it and it looks like it's done the complete opposite of that. It's actually seemingly made it more bothersome. Alonso doesn't make the mistakes he normally does this weekend. He's normally ironclad. Like, like if if something bad happens to Alonso, it's not normally on him um and while the race it certainly wasn't like that in qualifying he was kind of the maker of his own demise to a degree um and for what it's worth for the extra context in austin last week he reverted back to the previous spec of car when he started from pit lane and he was balling like Alonso was probably gonna end up in the top six once all the DQs came into play um and Obviously, after the DQs of Hamilton and Leclerc, and he 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 had he was the only man at one point that was running on Verstappen's pace in the middle of that Grand Prix until the floor damage there as well had to force him to park the car that that weekend as well. So it's not like this car is slow all of a sudden. There is clearly still potential in this package. It's just they seemingly can't wrap their heads around this new upgrade package. It's really weird. Yeah.
1: It, it. It really is, and now you're starting to see it in signs of, look, I've been watching Formula One long enough to be a almost year one Fernando Alonso <laughs> fan, and I can tell you that when things are not going good in the camp that Fernando Alonso has hitched this wagon to, sometimes he can be a little bit belligerent. He can be a bit petulant. And the signs are starting to creep up at the end of this season. Hopefully, Aston Martin find something that needs next three races to rest the skid at least. Otherwise, it's going to be a long, long winter in Northamptonshire. It worries me as well, because even Alpine, who
0: we have generally, I think, if you're looking at those two respective teams, I think we gave Alpine the benefit of the doubt until around midseason. As a counter example, because that was when Lauren Rossi was still there as CEO, and he was scathing, Ottmar Szafnauer, uh, you know, week in week out, saying, "Oh, we have a hundred race plan. It's all going tits up. It's all go. It's all been terrible," you know. And then Ottmar had to try and defend himself. They very politely told him to sod off after after Belgium, um, and we've now given them a hard time over it, justifiably, I would say, to a degree. But even Alpine looks a fair bit more consistent right now off the last two or three rounds compared to Aston Martin, who are now struggling to get this car into the points. Like, I'm not... Like, obviously, Aston Martin and the bulk of their scoring's already been done. They're almost certainly going to finish fifth in the Constructors this year. But next year, if Alpine hits the ground running, if they can find a way to maybe get over some of their power unit shortfalls, which we'll get to later on... Um, Could Aston Martin end up sinking back to where they were maybe towards the end of the Vettel run at the end of 2022 when they were fighting for 6th and 7th?
1: That could be a devastating setback. This was supposed to be a much, much better finish of the season. And and it just goes to show, like, at the start of this year, Aston Martin was the second best team in Formula 1 behind Red Bull. And we were all worried, would McLaren even get through the first handful of races with any points at all? Now look at how things have changed. McLaren are clearly the second best team behind Red Bull, or at least in the discussion of second best team, and Aston Martin, they've been kind of nowhere. And it's not because they're not quick.
0: Yeah, it's 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 not the first time this has come out of that Silverstone camp as well. I remember in in 2020 they hit the ground running, had a really solid package, but they couldn't do anything to penetrate the real big players around them that they were knocking on the door of when they were in pink, where they were still called racing point and they were challenging for podiums here and there, got the odd win here and there, but they were never consistently good. And it's, they will cash in on that first half of the season and likely end up fifth, which is still a good season, but you're going to be sitting there in December and wondering what could have been, because this could have been, a top three Constructors finish, and that would have been dynamite for this team
1: um you know. and what you would expect for the team representing one of the one of the most prestigious british manufacturers in the world
0: british manufacturers well that's a great line rj <laughs> well worded my friend um also so something of wanted wanted to talk about a little bit as well was that we actually had a whole showcase of ricky's take part in in free practice one this weekend we had five of them. A couple of them have done some FP1s before, but um, they've not done a full Grand Prix weekend. Um, a couple of new faces in there as well. We had Jack Doohan over there at Alpine. We had Theo Porcher, who's probably going to win the Formula 2 title in Abu Dhabi in a few weeks' time. Um, Isaac Hager in the Alpha AlphaTauri. Uh, Frederick Vesti in the Mercedes team. And Odie Behrman in the Haas um, so we have five uh, FP1 uh, rookie replacements. I say that in inverted commas, because that's the F1 rule. You've got to give up uh, one car's FP1 over the course of the seasons. So this, and a lot of people decided to use them here. Um, what did you make of those appearances, RJ? And uh, is, is, w- w- do you think that there isn't a way in for them to actually get into F1? Because I've written about this recently, and it's it looks a bit tricky at the
1: moment. It really does. And we could also just say Teo Porcher's appearance this weekend wasn't really much of an appearance. That Alfa Romeo was just sat on its blocks, mostly naked and not running, mm-hmm. which is tough. Um, out of the appearances that I saw, Ollie Behrman, obviously, you know, to get within a few tenths of Nico Hulkenberg, who has been pretty exceptional, I'll get more into that as we go on. Berman put in a good account for himself. Isaac Adjar has been was a real surprise, considering there was debate amongst my colleagues whether or not he should be even allowed to take part in this FP1 session because he does have the super license points, but didn't really have the relevant F1 car testing experience beforehand. And then by the end of a session, it's all irrelevant anyway because he's put in a good account for himself. Better than yeah, I was going to say,
0: isn't that the old 300 kilometers of running in an old car rule that came into play?
1: Yes, but again, doesn't really matter much now. He got through the full session and he put in a very good account for himself. Uh, it is just tough. We're not expecting much driver movement. The only real shock of this transfer window that could be on the table is the potential of Logan Sargent being pushed to the side if red bull finds a way to put liam lawson in that seat but even then that looks less and less likely maybe they swap checo and ricardo around but even then that's not really likely you know and again it's just tough with only 10 teams and 20 seats in the sport and i think maybe fom with their massive windfall of revenue that we received, maybe they should consider welcoming new entrants in the sport and maybe using that extra revenue to ensure that every constructor gets their fair share of prize money and that nobody gets left out as a consequence of adding new teams. I don't know. Just a hunch.
0: G- g- that, that was a big, tall glass of I'm just saying there, RJ, wasn't it? Like, just for just you, just, just subtly lay that one in there, right? <laughs> I mean... I, I, I fully agree. I think of the five mentioned, I think Ollie Behrman probably has the best chance of a way in. Um, and that's probably via Haas from what I've read from people. I think Haas was blown away by how good Behrman was in terms of speed, in terms of getting used to the car. He was asking all the right questions. Apparently his camp was very professional about how they handled everything. I do worry about a couple of things with Behrman, and that's one Gunther is risk-averse as all hell after what happened with Mick Schumacher and the crash damage he took in 2022, which, to a degree, given that Haas are a smaller F1 team, a lot smaller than most of the F1 teams, I can understand why that would be a bigger factor than most, even though I think statistically he was better than Kevin Magnussen last year, which we'll get into. And also, he's going to be at Prima next year in Formula 2. His teammate is going to be Andrea Kimi Antonelli, who the the 17-year-old Italian Frecker champion from the fourth tier of uh, the F1 pyramid, as we know it. He's doing a double class jump uh, next year, straight into Primo with Formula 2. I, d- I described it on WTF1's website as w- moving into a new house and finding out that the kitchen has a beehive in it. Um, because <laughs> Antonetti has got Verstappen levels of hype as a prospect, and if Behrman like is probably going to be under immediate pressure to beat him and probably take the F2 title immediately next year. Otherwise people are going to ask questions because
1: that's just how it goes at the junior level now. Yeah. We, a lot of us don't like the way that certain driver academies handled their talent. And then, think just like those driver academies. Um, I will say Teo Porcher does have an interesting path because even if he doesn't win the F2 championship, he has got nothing left to prove. And Alfa Romeo has said that they might take him on the Stoffel Van Dorn, Pierre Gasly, Liam Lawson road to F1 through super formula next year. Um, So that's something to consider, but yeah, it's just, it's going to be tough for them to find a path through. Put a pin on Isaac Adjar for just a bit. Maybe he gets breaks through, but otherwise, it'll be tough. Um, so we've come to the point where we hand out the podium trophies. Yes. I guess this is the point where we hand out the podium trophies. Yeah,
0: like this is the WTF1 podium segment of the show where we hand out our awards for the star performer, the worst performer, and the uh, surprise performer of the weekend. But we'll, do, we'll do. We'll go star performer first on this one. And who's
1: yours, RJ, for the weekend? Um, this is the obvious choice, but outside of the names we've already discussed, there's clearly one choice here, and that's Lando Norris. Uh, He put himself in adversity in Q1. He could not get himself a clean lap going, and just when he was about to on his third attempt, there was a yellow flag that caught him out, meaning he starts the race in 17th. But at this circuit in Mexico City, where overtaking often comes at the premium, because if you think the turbulent air is troublesome at sea level, buddy, welcome to the high altitudes of Mexico City. That's why Estadio Azteca has such... Great lore and mythos around it being a tough place to play. It's like that in F1 cars, too. These cars are suffocating for clean air. But Lando Norris made his way through the field through searing pace and some very, very well-timed and well-executed overtakes to finish fifth and secure driver of the day honors. You know, I think. People give Lando a tough time because Daniel Ricciardo won a Grand Prix before him, Oscar Piastri won a sprint before him, but most days, 99 days out of 100, Lando Norris will maximize the performance of the equipment that he's given, and outside of Max Verstappen, he's a solid driver of the year candidate, and this was another performance that showed why.
0: Absolutely agreed. I think that's an absolutely valid shout. Seventeenth to fifth, no matter which way you read it on a score sheet, is a good day's work. He beat his teammate Oscar Piastri on the day, who had a very conventional starting place. Um, I, I love Piastri. Um, I do worry about his tire management a little bit because that was a, a a management race in the back end of that, being on the mediums for the whole second half of the race, and Piastri struggled a little bit on this one. But Norris was was cooking, and um, yeah one of the drivers of the season for me so far. And I, I fully agree that when the, when the, when the, season's said and done, Norris will be in the conversation. I think with people like Alonso and Hamilton for the best of the rest on it, in terms of driver of the year candidacies, Charles Leclerc as well, who had a pretty quiet run of the podium. Absolutely. Um, again, uh, If anything for Ferrari, quietness is probably a good thing in their camp over the last few weeks. Uh, quiet is fine. Third is fine. I was going to say Lewis Hamilton for my star performer, um, had to come through from sixth place on the grid, wasn't the best qualifying session, but the second half of that race was vintage Lewis Hamilton, just runs laps, incredible pace. Great tire management. Everybody thought the race would come back to the hard-running Ferraris in the second half of that final stint. They never did. Hamilton was just that good. Um, And yes, Verstappen's in another postcode right now compared to the rest of the field, but Hamilton was just methodical and his usual brilliant self in second place. Back-to-back second places for Lewis now. Um, He's... I think he's firmly establishing himself as the number two runner in this championship this year um, on my pound for pound rankings for the season as well. He's probably going to be in my two spot. Uh, Hamilton again, just brilliant Um, best of the rest comfortably. And he had to work for it. He had to get past those Ferraris, get past Daniel Ricciardo, but it was a, it was a perfect race from Lewis. He could, he could not have realistically asked for or done any better with what he was given, quite frankly. Let's go to the other end of the scale here. Who are we saying for
1: worst performer? It's harsh for me to do this because I think every driver had a positive and a negative to take away from this weekend. And given that Logan Sargent almost swiped some points at the end on track this time, it's tough to give him worst performer, but he was ultimately the 20th best driver on the weekend. And wasn't on Alex Albon's level this weekend. And even when he was doing well, he was unlucky to go out at the end with a fuel pump failure. Uh, if if not Logan himself, I'd probably be inclined to give this to the Williams pit wall in the middle of the race <laughs> because when Kevin Magnussen had a suspension failure in his crash, I think a lot of armchair a lot of armchair strategists easy enough for me to say. <laughs> would have said, you know, this barrier is going to need fixing, and that's not just going to be a safety car; That's a red flag. Unless you're for Verstappen and have the margin to do so, you really shouldn't pit, but they brought Albon in the pits anyway, and that almost ruined their chance of any points. And then Albon was able to drive around that error after the red flag and salvage a ninth-place finish anyway. Logan was trending for 12th place until the fuel pump failure put him out on the last lap. It's a shame... Again, everybody had everybody that had a negative also had a positive to counterbalance it. It was just that Logan Sargent was, you know, didn't really have that many positives, and that's a shame because he's coming off a landmark weekend in Austin, follows it up with, you know, it's a fine weekend in Mexico City. He's been better than he was at some points this year, but just not good enough to distinguish himself from the rest. I don't know. Dre, who are you giving your worst performer trophy to?
0: I was going to give Logan the benefit of the doubt because he was running 12th when the fuel pump issue kicked in, and that's not a bad day in a vacuum for Logan Sargent. I I fully agree that the Williams pit crew... Um, we're, were were a strong contender for this award because they they screwed Albon over big time on that. It was blatantly obvious. So we know how it goes in F one. If a, if a fence is damaged, it's a red flag to fix it. That's an ironclad rule at this point in F one. And um, yeah, just, just I'm, I'm I'm glad that Albon was able to recover from there and get a couple of points out of it at least. This is a tough one because, like you said, I don't think there was too many outright howlers in the field this weekend. Um, and I was tempted to say Logan Sargent. Um, I've got to go, Checo, uh, I, I, and I, I, there is no getting around that his race lasted fifteen seconds. And yeah. it's, it's, I know it's the obvious pick, and I don't like doing the obvious pick sometimes, but this one is the obvious pick. And if he just backs out of that free wide and comes through in third or fourth place off turn one. he's probably on the podium and it shuts up a lot of the, of the smoke regarding his future. And instead he, he took a gamble at the worst possible time, got it wrong and he was punished for it. And that's a real shame. Um, it's, it's, I, I want Checo to do well and I, I like Checo overall and I, I don't necessarily want to see him get moved on quickly um, because I, I think there is a, Genuine Venn diagram between people that understand that Red Bull treat their drivers like dirt, but also the same people that are pushing for Ricardo to take his job. There's probably some sort of Venn diagram crossover there, but if you can't do that, Checo. That was not. It wasn't worth it, my man. It just like like it just wasn't, and it's a real shame because. I've, this, there, is, there is genuine signs of promise out of Checo coming off this weekend, but it's going to be completely overshadowed by the
1: crash and Daniel Ricciardo's star performance. It's just unfortunate. I can't disagree. Uh, I can't. I really can't disagree. Surprise performer. Um, I think I know our audience is smart. I know they've been paying attention to this rock fight for seventh place in the constructors' championship between Alfa's, Romeo, and Tari between Haas and Williams, and if you've been paying attention to that fight, you'll know that a lot of the load at Haas has been carried by Nico Hulkenberg, who, amazingly enough, out of full-time action for three whole years, has asserted himself as the number one driver at that team. And this weekend was no inception. Hulkamania was running wild, in the (laughs) points, in the top ten, longer than anyone had anticipated Uh, Even after the upgrades, the VF23's tire management woes ultimately left him scoreless, but not before a really entertaining defensive stand where, even without DRS, he held off the two Alpines of Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon longer than anyone reasonably should have. And it just makes you think, oh, Alpine, what's happened within your power unit department? You looked more than the 40 to 50 horsepower that people say you're down. Even with DRS, you had a hard time getting past Nico Hulkenberg without a few cracks at it. But Hulk was spectacular. He's unlucky to come away with just 13th place. And as we talked about early in the show, Haas are now the worst last place team in Formula 1. It's really sad.
0: I, I look. I make no bones about it. MoneyGram are good friends of ours on on the WTF One Network, so I'm always going to root for them a little bit more than normal. And generally speaking, anyway, yeah, that's full disclosure, folks. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was, look, Hulkenberg has been. Awesome, I think all season long. I think he's done a very, very good job with very little to work with all year long. And like you said, Hass's tire problems are well known and well documented over the course of this season. And he he put up a phenomenal fight. The Alpine is a better car; there is no question about it in my mind. That the Alpine is a stronger car, and Hulk held it and held it and held it. But Haas are not tire savers they had to go 35 laps effectively on a scrubbed set of mediums to try and get enough pace to keep those alpines behind and he just ran out of ran out of steam at the end. Apparently Holkenberg thought it was fun at the end because he was apparently drifting and <laughs> screeching, having no rear grip in his car whatsoever, but sadly no point to show for it, which is a real shame because he did about as much as you could reasonably ask anyone to do with that car in that scenario, in that circumstance. I, I, I fully agree with you. I, I had Hulkenberg on my, um, as my surprise performer as well. Um, I think it's kind of ironic, though, because I don't think his performances have been that much of a surprise this year. He's just been, he's just been excellent, and he's thoroughly outclassed Kevin Magnussen for me pretty much all season long. And Magnussen
1: was just unlucky. Like, yes, mm. he wasn't matching Hulkenberg, but left rear suspension failure through a tough sequence of corners, that is tough.
0: Yeah, nasty one. Um, but yeah, Hulk, uh, both of us are a surprise performer of the weekend. So just before we go, RJ, um, looking forward to this weekend. It's the last of the triple header. We're going to Brazil and into Lagos, one of the fan favorite rounds of the year. It's, a, it's also, I think, our last sprint weekend of the year as well. Um, what do you make going into that one? What's your vibe going into the weekend?
1: And maybe give us a little podium prediction as well while we're at it. It would be tough for me to bet against anyone but Master Sappon to win races at this point. I think that's kind of been the theme of this season, just to see how far he can run up the score. 16 wins is already monumental. I would not be surprised if a 17th was in there. But this, to me, feels like the best chance that Lewis Hamilton has to break his winless skit that has gone on almost two calendar years at this point. If it's going to be any time, it needs to be here. Will it happen? We'll see, but it would go a long way to overhauling Checo Perez in the title. I think I think this podium is going to look something like this. Perez in third, Stappen in second, Hamilton in first. I know it's a gutsy pick for me to go against anybody other than Max Verstappen winning this race, but I figured while I'm a guest on this show, if it's my only time, I might as well make the most of it and go a little bit out of the box. Which is crazy to think that picking the driver with the most wins in Formula One history is an (laughs) out-of-the-box pick. But that's how good Max Verstappen has been the last three years.
0: Nuance is a mother trucker, isn't it? Nah, to say the least. I mean... If you look back to last year, this was the outlier round for Red Bull. In that back half of the year, the last 10 races of 2022, this was the only one they didn't win. Um, they just didn't get their tires dialed in uh, And into Lagos And Max, obviously, clashing with Hamilton again didn't help the situation either. Um, George Russell was so good here last year. Hamilton always goes well in Brazil. I think it's going to be... A, I think Verstappen is going to win. But I think a Mercedes double podium of second and third for Hamilton and Russell, I think, is going to be the way this one plays out in the end. Um, I, that's that's my gut feeling on this. The sprint's going to be fascinating as well because Interlagos seems to be a very sprint-friendly sort of track. Plenty of passes, play places that you can potentially overtake someone um, if you're if you're fast enough. So, very much looking forward to Brazil. Will it be another tire-based outlier for Red Bull? We'll have to wait and see, Um, especially because I think Mercedes are in good form right now and we all know how well they they can perform. This is the one race they won last year. I still find it baffling that we've gone two years since a Lewis Hamilton victory. That is ridiculous for a man who has 103 of them at this point. Um, But that'll just about do it on this edition of the WTF1 post-race podcast. RJ, tell the good people where they can find you.
1: Uh, You can find a lot of the stuff that I write in the world of sports car racing from IMSA to Super GT on dailysportscar.com. You can find a lot of my IndyCar writing, although I'm out of season at this point at (laughs) racefans.net, contributing some of the F1 coverage there as well. Uh, By the way, it is also Super GT Championship Decider Weekend at Mobility Resort Motegi this weekend. You probably know where to find it, so if you have the means to do so, go out of your way, stay up late, get up early, or if you're on Australia or New Zealand or Japan, just tune in at the regular time and enjoy what should be a very fun and compelling race with all three manufacturers, with a representative still in the chance of a title. Toyota's WEC protege, Rotoma Miata, just won the Super Formula Championship and he would become just the fifth person ever to win the GT500 and Super Formula titles in the same calendar year. And Miata had to go through no less than Liam Lawson and Tomoki Nojiri to win that Super Formula title. So this Super GT finale, it's going to be something you want to watch. I don't know. That's just me. That's just my opinion.
0: And in one slightly shameless plug, you can also catch the pair of us on the Motorsport 101 podcast channel where every week we break down Formula One, MotoGP, IndyCar and Formula e's championships over there. If you like the cut of us together, uh, you can listen to more of us over there if you're that way inclined. Um, if you don't, you're out of luck, pal. Whoops. Um, Don't worry. (laughs) Harry and Callan will be back next week. And of course, I'll be back on Wednesday for another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. Thank you very much for listening along to the pair of us. Until then, I've been Dre. He's been RJ. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Sign out.
1: Later, y'all. It's only a kick, a jump.